0: The Swamp Twenty Four Seven Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, we had some major news hit the social media airwaves yesterday. I guess uh, Oklahoma and Texas have reportedly reached out to the SEC to, I guess, inquire about joining the league. Uh, sounds like conference expansion is now back on the menu. Uh, I guess first off, Blake, what's your take on this? I mean, those are two pretty, pretty big story programs talking about coming to the SEC.
1: I'm all for it. I'm interested to see if it did happen. How that would maybe shape different divisions or you know maybe the fallout of that obviously I'm you know I might be putting the 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 cart before the horse here um you know because things still need to fall into place if that does even happen but I'm all for it I think that's two big time programs I think whenever you look back to just the conference you know structures when they added Missouri and Texas A&M into the into the SEC you look for those SEC type environments you know the fan base you know because I mean in the SEC man I mean it's I mean, it, football is life for those kind of teams. So I think when you look at those kind of atmospheres, I think that they mesh pretty well. Um, I, I'm all for a trip to Austin to go for you know a game in Florida against Texas. If that's a conference game, I'm all for that. I think it'd be great for the for the SEC. It's already the powerhouse conference in college football. So um, it's. It, I, I think it, I'm all for
0: it. I mean, obviously, this is kind of all about the money, right? You know, the SEC is kind of where it, the big bucks are, and uh, I think. I think the pandemic probably shifted things a lot quicker than maybe people realize when you talk about just kind of the financial deficits that some of these programs ran up, you know, not having full stadiums, all that. uh, I think it really probably put athletics directors in a situation where they had to really consider the future long-term, you know, and and we still don't even know necessarily how this fall is going to play out. You know, as we were talking about it yesterday about, you know, how we're going to handle credentials this fall. And we don't know if, you know, it's going to be limited situation like before, uh, as far as this year so who knows how long these financial impacts go but obviously when you talk about adding you know for the SEC two of these teams that are major major markets obviously in the Texas area you know I know that you know the SEC already has Texas A&M but obviously the Longhorns are you know those are some deep pockets a lot of uh, you know a lot of potential there and then you talk about Oklahoma and how successful that they've been in the last several years you're talking about adding two teams that I think everybody would say, you know, are the type of programs that could be in the playoff hunt on an annual basis. Uh, I guess, Blake, uh, are, are you concerned at all that, you know, when you hear about potentially adding these two teams, that that may bump Florida a little further down, you know, the ladder? Or, or is that not really a concern for you?
1: It's not a concern for me. I think it's just with any league, any conference, any division, you have to I – mean, I mean, in the SEC, you have to put out your best football. You know, I, I, I think it'd be good if there was some way to beef up the East because I do know that – you know, compared from the west to, to the west to the west to the east, um, you know the, the west is kind of the king in the in, in that conference overall. They have those big teams; they're always you know more competitive. I think it'd be good to add some you know maybe some gusto to the east. You know, maybe get some of those bigger teams in there, make it more competitive. But I think at the end of the day, no, no matter who the teams in there, I mean, yeah, that that does bring an added challenge bringing two teams like that because you know bringing in a Texas or or, or an Oklahoma isn't the same as adding you know a, a Kentucky type of team or you know a, a you know South Carolina, Vanderbilt type of team. But I think in general, the SEC, how competitive it is, um, just how – You know, any team can play you close in different conferences, different divisions. I think overall, just how competitive that league is, I mean, you have to go out and you have to play perfect every week, and that's just how the SEC works. So I don't think it's something you can concern yourself with. I mean, sure, does adding Texas on the schedule and, and, you know, maybe making, you know, even nine conference games in a season for, you know, for Florida or for any SEC teams, that brings its own challenges. Um, But I think overall, just the way the SEC works, I just, I mean, you have to come and bring it every week. So I, I don't know that it's something I'm concerned about just because it's already a very competitive conference.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this is all obviously very new. You know, I I don't think everybody's got a full handle on exactly, you know, what those conversations would look like between Oklahoma, Texas and the SEC, you know, how the league would restructure maybe, uh, do you even keep the divisions and, and just go. uh, There's been so many different
1: scenarios that have been talked about.
0: Yeah. So I think there's two probably that are the most, uh, considered the most likely, you know, if this were to happen. And I think, uh, the first is, is kind of the one that you mentioned that, you know, you probably shift some teams over to the East uh, I think if you, if you stuck with the divisions, I think the most likely scenario would be, you know, you'd probably move Alabama and Auburn over to the sec East that preserves your, you know, your Auburn, Georgia rivalry. It gives you back Auburn, Florida, which was a great rivalry back in the day. Um, it preserves Alabama, Tennessee. Uh, and then I think you move Missouri over to the West and you put, you know, Texas, Oklahoma in with LSU, A&M, the Mississippi schools in Arkansas. Uh, you've got some old Southwest rivalries with Arkansas in the, you know, jumping back in that mix with texas um so i, I think that's one way to do it uh, that makes think,
1: the most sense geographically and for i sure. think to
0: your point if you do that i think you have to go to nine conference games i don't think there's any way you can do it at eight because if you're talking about playing seven divisional games you know only getting one crossover when you've got eight teams in the other division you're talking about maybe only visiting an oklahoma or a texas once every 16 years to me that's not feasible um you know, so I think that, you know, if you do the division setup, I think you go to probably nine conference games. Uh, I think it would mean the elimination of the, the permanent crossover rivalry. And that's something that came up at SEC Media Days on Monday, actually, before uh, this news broke yesterday, where, you know, Dan Mullen talked about he kind of wants to get rid of the permanent crossover rivalry. Um, and, and for Florida, obviously, that would mean dropping the LSU game as an annual opponent. And I'm not a huge fan of that. Granted, I'm, I'm from Louisiana. So that rivalry, you know, being from Louisiana and having a bunch of friends that went to LSU and then me going to Florida uh, that's always been a fun rivalry for me. But I think for the fans too, it's really developed into a game that, that people like. So whenever you talk about this conference realignment, I think, you know, there's going to be some things that gets lost. And I think, um, I guess, let me ask you this, Blake, what, what's the most important thing in terms of maintaining Florida's, rivalry games that you would like to see if there's some sort of shuffling or, or expansion to the conference? Are what you are, talking conference or out of conference? Conference. Like what are the games? Conference? Conference. Like are the in- games? Well, and I guess Florida State too. I mean, because this could affect that as well. Right. Games that for you, Florida absolutely should not give up on an annual basis.
1: Oh, you know, I'm with you. I think it's the Florida LSU game. I just think that the way that game has gone, you can tell that it matters to the players. You know, there's been um, – I think back to Siante Lewis with like the like the skeleton cat, and it's just – there's been little, little quips. That's what makes rivalry games so great. Those little things that happen off the field, you can tell that when they play, it matters to the players. Um, I think it's always a really fun game. And you look at how those teams have really played each other really close. You can tell that it's something they focus on a lot. So I would be sad to see that one go. Um, but past that, you know, I mean – uh it's tough because a lot of the East games, you know, like Florida, Tennessee, you know, growing up for me, I remember, you know, that was a big game. You know, that right. was one that everyone had circled, you know, fans were always really excited for. I remember walking to the stadium with my dad. I was like eight or nine years old and some Tennessee fan, you know, like said something slick to my dad and they're about to like fight out there in the streets, you know, going back and forth. And you just don't have that anymore. Yeah. So I think I, mean, I hold Florida's on to 20, that one. Last 16, right. You just, it's, it's not competitive anymore. And I think that's the same way with a lot of those games in the East, you know, I mean, what was it? Florida beat Kentucky an absurd amount of times I can't remember in in a row I thought it was 31 30 30 something games in a row they're just not as competitive so I think for me it would if I had to pick one in the east it would probably Tennessee Florida and I know it's not really the, the competitive rivalry that it used to be but I think it's just something I hold on to from just growing up and that being a big game
0: I think you know so so we talked about you know that's if you keep divisions that's probably what it looks like you know you slide Alabama Auburn over I think the more intriguing option and, and I'd be curious, you know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations with the SEC is more of a pod system. You know, I think the thing that, you know, Dan Mullen was kind of getting at with wanting to drop the permanent crossover game is you really only get the chance to host in Alabama once every 12 years or travel to Tuscaloosa or, you know, Auburn for example once every 12 years. To me that's not enough. Like, you know, I mean, for fans it's one thing, but for players too, you only get a four-year window, right? So it's even worse for the players when they don't get to visit some of these, you know, really storied venues, these, these really cool SEC venues. I would like to see, you know, the league find some way to ensure that a lot of these players get a chance to visit most of these schools. You know, so if you add an Oklahoma and a Texas, how do we schedule it such that, you know, a player that's going to Florida will have a chance to visit at least one of those two schools or maybe both within his four to five year career? That's, that's what I want to see. You know, I I think um, the more you get stuck into the divisions, the more you end up playing games like uh, Florida-Vanderbilt, Florida-Missouri that, honestly, nobody really cares about.
1: They don't. And it's even for, like I said, Florida-Tennessee, Florida-Kentucky. Nobody really cares about those games now.
0: Yeah, so I I think a pod system is interesting. And and for those that, you know, haven't kind of heard what that looks like, I think if you take 16 teams, what you do is you have four pods, right? So four, four four-team pods. And basically, the idea of the pod system would be you would want – You know, those four teams, you want some significant rivalry games that should never go away. And when I think of it, I think Florida, Georgia obviously has to be paired due to location, due to how how big a rivalry game that is. So you'd have something like maybe Florida, Georgia, maybe Tennessee and South Carolina or Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina. And what would happen would be you would play each of those teams every year. So that's three games there on your schedule, right? Uh, From there, I think, you know, having four teams in each of the other pods, you could play two games against each of the other pods uh to where that adds you another six games now you're at nine conference games but you're playing you're playing opponents from across the league in these different pods routinely so you're going to get more trips to you know Arkansas and A&M uh Texas and Oklahoma I think that'd be a really cool way to do it you know I don't know in practice how that would play out in terms of uh competitive balance you know whether that would really allow uh you know, one program to have an advantage based on the pod. I think you'd you'd really have to put, you know, some brain power together to figure out how do we balance, you know, uh, not just the teams that right now are on top, but traditionally, historically have, you know, had the ability to be pretty good. Like you mentioned, like a Tennessee, you know, they used to be good. Uh, Do we evaluate, Hey, can Tennessee get back to that powerhouse place? Or is their their run kind of, you know, this is kind of who Tennessee is now. I think those are going to be really tricky conversations. And again, this is all so preliminary right now. I mean, you know, it I think it's uh, but it's
1: fun to talk about.
0: It is really fun to talk about. It's perfect offseason. I wish they had you know dropped this news maybe two months ago when we were you know starving for content. But uh, no, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting. And I think um, you know I saw I think the Big Twelve uh, is is going to be meeting today with some of its uh, some of its brass basically and, and trying to figure out how to handle this. But like the way the news leaked yesterday, and you know Texas A and M's A A&M, uh, D happening to be at SEC Media Days when this all came out. I think it's clear that there's, there's some legitimate smoke behind this stuff. And so um, a lot to consider going forward kind of with the future of college football. And I think, I I really think the pandemic accelerated this kind of thing in ways that people maybe didn't anticipate because of the financial situation. And um, I'm curious to see, you know, if the SEC does take the lead on this, um, if you, if you pull an Oklahoma and a Texas man, you've got the dominant position in college football and It'll be interesting to see how, you know, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, maybe try to scramble to, you know, make additions. You know, if you remember a decade back when when the last kind of big conference expansion came around, it happened very, very quickly. I mean, it, it really snowballed quickly, and then those TV deals got struck. Um, I, I think, you know, the SEC is, is, is and has been the dominant player in college football for a long time, and I think, you know, when you talk about Texas with the Longhorn Network that they tried to launch now getting on board – I think that they're you know they're kind of on, in, in the place where they need to get on the train before it leaves the station, and I, I think that's what you're seeing uh, so Blake uh, I don't know let's take a quick break. I know uh, we talked about today's show probably won't be quite as long uh, simply because we didn't we didn't learn a ton of new stuff at SEC media days, uh, but we'll take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back talking what we learned from Florida in Birmingham. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance,
1: whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news.
0: Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, let's talk a little bit of SEC Media Days. Like I, like I said, you know, that event, you know, I go to it a lot, you know, not every year because I feel like you don't always learn a whole lot. It's a very rushed – it's almost like a, you know, every little station gets their five-minute snippet. And uh, so you don't, you don't really learn a whole lot. But I think one of the things that did come out at SEC Media Days that was important, and, and we kind of hinted at it in the beginning half of the show, we don't really know how the league's going to approach COVID-19 this fall. We do know that, uh, you know, the league is really kind of pushing teams uh, to get vaccinated. I think the, the league came out in June with a threshold of 85% vaccinations. If 85% of your roster is vaccinated, all of a sudden you no longer need to do the daily surveillance testing or not daily, but whatever the surveillance testing that they did last fall, I think it was, you know, every couple days or whatever, you don't have to do that. So obviously that's a big incentive to get vaccinated uh, Greg Sankey let us know that six of the 14 SEC teams as of Monday were past 80% vaccinated. So getting pretty close to that threshold. Florida wasn't one of them. Um, and I think the reason that vaccinations are important uh, as a topic when, when we're talking about football in this season is Greg Sankey said they're not planning to kind of structure the schedule such that they have that make date late in the season like you did last year where the LSU game got moved to. Um, so if your team is not able to play, it's going to go down as a forfeit this year, rather than a no contest. And that, that has obviously big, big implications for, you know, the, the, your chances to win the league. You know, if you, if you're a team that doesn't get vaccinated, all of a sudden you have an outbreak like Florida had against A&M last year, you're talking about chalking up a loss in the loss column. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. You know, Dan Mullen said that Florida was getting close on in terms of the number of vaccinations. Uh, one other interesting thing that I thought was kind of maybe glossed over by a lot of national media types was that Greg Sankey said they're, they're considering lifting the, the roster limits that they had last year. You know, where you had to have 53 scholarship guys, I think, and certain numbers, I think it was seven O 0 linemen, uh, you had to have one scholarship quarterback available. So to me, if they lift those roster restrictions, you know, teams are going to try to play. Now, you may be severely short-handed, depending on how things go, uh, but you're going to try to play. So clearly, COVID-19, Blake, is still a factor. Um, I don't know that it'll be a major factor. I think a lot of that's going to depend on how this Delta variant kind of plays out. Um, but obviously, it's something the league is still considering. And, and you know, I, like I said, I, I was talking to the Florida SID today. Uh, and they're not quite sure, you know, how the stadiums are going to look yet. You know, everybody's hoping for full capacity. I know a lot of the players talked about that being one of the things they're most excited about. Uh, but I just wanted to pass that along as information before we kind of dive into, you know, uh, what we learned from Florida. So, Blake, I don't know, was there anything that stood out to you as far as um, things that caught your ear at SEC Media Days from the Florida contingent?
1: You know, it was kind of a lot of the same old, same old that we've heard. I think one of the more interesting things, at least, you know, from talking, from listening to what Dan Mullen had to say. Um, was just hearing the philosophy because we've heard it all through spring, obviously with the spring shutdown. Was that you're going to see some different, some different looks? You know, the question that was asked over and over again is the offense going to go back to your bread and butter type of you know scheme? And and Mullen gave the traditional answer that he's going to play up to his team strengths. But I think that when you look at the team this year, I think the strengths of having Emory Jones, who's fully capable of running, you know, very quick and agile. Um, I, I think that that's going to be that that strength that they play up to this season. So I think that was more the more of the interesting things because Mullen, he's obviously not going to come out, you know, preseason and say like, oh yeah, we're going to be a running team. We're going to run our quarterback. You know, any other things you want to know about the team, you know, to give right. you a cheat sheet for, he's not going to do that. But just from picking up on that, it sort of confirmed to me a lot of the suspicions that you're going to see Florida go to a little bit more of a running style attack and maybe not some necessarily run heavy But I think one of the things that he said was they're going to try to be more balanced, Mm -hmm. you know, to where last year they were really heavy on the passing. Even before that, the year before, I think there was some balance there. Um, But I think whenever Trask kind of took over, you saw them kind of start to really push more on the passing game. So um, I I think that that was maybe one of the more interesting things of, you know, kind of a lot of uninteresting things that have already been, you know, kind of beat to death already.
0: No doubt. And when you talk about, you know, being a running team, I guess one of the few (coughs) news pieces that we did actually learn is that DeMarcus Bowman will be eligible this fall. You know, we asked Dan Mullen about that. Uh, because Bowman actually transferred in before the NCAA kind of approved the one-time waiver rule. Florida had to go back and kind of retroactively try to get a waiver for him, but they did get it and he'll be eligible. So that's another big threat that Florida will have in the backfield. That was probably the only like quote unquote newsy thing that, you know, if if your writer has to go up right away. Um, You know, one thing that I didn't love from the Florida guys at SEC media Days, I thought Dan Mullen downplayed their struggles defensively a year ago. You know, we talked to him. I asked him specifically, Uh, when we were meeting with him with the local media, you know, do you think last year was kind of a one-off because of COVID-19, not having spring ball, not really being able to tackle, that kind of thing. And he didn't really say, yes, it was a one-off, but he kind of said, well, first off, I didn't really think the defense played that badly last year. Um, And the reason he said that is if you look at it, you know, a lot of teams were chasing us because we were putting up a lot of points with Kyle Trask. And I I think there's some validity to that argument, But to me, when you look at it structurally, schematically, the way Florida's defense played, they just were not very good. And you saw that show up against good teams. You know, couldn't get a stop late against Texas A&M when they needed it. Uh, You know, obviously the shoe toss against LSU was kind of a a fluky situation, but then couldn't get a stop after that happened. Uh, You know, Alabama just just could never come up with enough stops. I, I, I was a little disappointed that Dan Mullen downplayed those struggles a little bit. And I don't know if that's him playing mind games with his defense. You know, we talked about it before SEC media days. You know, is that the reason that he's bringing two defensive players to try to build confidence? I don't know. Um, I'm hoping that that was more of, you know, Dan Mullen trying to build those guys up rather than really just fundamentally believing they weren't that bad on defense last year. Because, I I, I mean, you can tell me, ask any fan out there whether or not their defense was good last year. And I think you're going to get a pretty clear, pretty clear response.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think that was another thing that stuck out to me, too. You know, wherever he he, – I'm going to butcher the entire comment just because I don't have it in front of me. But basically, he said that they played good enough, just not statistically. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what? again, I
0: I get. I understand that other teams had to keep their offenses open for full games. Sure. But – uh, to me it's just you, you can't if you have a team that after. can put
1: up a ton of points the whole point of defense is to stop the other team from moving the ball yes you know your offense is going to put up a lot of points but isn't the whole point to beat the crap out of teams you know and right. to, to try to put up as many points as you can on offense and on defense to stop the team from putting up points on you know on the other team well, i mean that's the is, point of football so and, and, i mean i and i think you are,
0: that if you're scoring a ton of points like the thing is you don't need that many stops so exactly to lose four games but to not have
1: stops in critical in,
0: and, and right
1: critical times of games i mean that's that's something that was for defense last year
0: yeah yeah so anyway um i, I don't know i thought i don't know like again I, sec media days you know it's a it's a fun event we all get hyped up about it football's back on tv at the end of the day we we, we kind of knew we're not going to learn a whole lot there i mean you know we, in previous years i've kind of written like five questions we're looking forward to hearing and then it's funny because like after sec media days you'll go back and like nine times out of ten you won't have like really any answers on those so it's like you know I, it's one of those events it's fun football's back but really fall camp being around the corners is really kind of what we're looking forward to. So I don't know, Blake, anything else from, from media days that I don't want to kind of completely gloss over it. I just, I felt like we didn't learn a whole lot
1: was excited to see some of the new coaches in there. I thought that Shane Beamer was pretty impressive, even though it was almost like a giant recruiting pitch listening to him. But I just think overall, he just seemed like a really good dude. I'm all for Mike Leach. I think that he's great. You know, I love watching his press conferences. I think one of the funniest things when he goes up there, you know, all these coaches come up and have like their opening statement. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm not really an opening statement guy. Any questions? So I thought that was good, and it was good because last year with Lane Kiffin being in his first year at Ole Miss, you didn't have SEC Media Day. I always like Lane, I you know I think covering him and it would be really fun, and I think just uh, you know what he brings there, you know always has his little stabs at Saban, you know talking to things about that. So you know I think it was cool just to see some of these guys that last year that we didn't get to see because of you know not having SEC Media Day. So I thought it was cool to finally see some of those guys, just because I mean you know covering you know Florida you don't really watch a lot of press conferences from other teams. You know, you really don't follow a lot of other teams deeply unless they're going to be on the schedule for Florida that season. So I thought it was cool to actually see some of those guys because, you know, I I haven't watched a Mike Leach Leach press conference since I think he was at like Washington state when he was there. So um, I thought it was cool to see some of those new faces around the, around the league.
0: One of the things you mentioned, uh, I thought that was interesting was you you mentioned Shane Beamer. It sounded like a, a giant recruiting pitch. I guess one thing I didn't have written down when we were, you know, putting together this podcast was name, image and likeness. And I think one thing that stood out to me was there, there was definitely some coaches in there that were kind of harping and pushing the, the envelope. I think, you know, Nick Saban said that Bryce young has made almost seven figures now, almost a million dollars in endorsements. Uh, it's pretty clear that some coaches are pushing that. And that, that was another area. I was a little bit um, surprised that Dan Mullen didn't kind of dive into more. And I think, um, you know, when you hear about Miami's got a, you know, a booster that's going to pay players $6,000 a year, you know, to make a couple endorsements for his gym. You hear about Bryce Young getting up to a million dollars already. Those are significant recruiting pitches, and those are kids that, you know, kids out there are listening to these kind of things and kind of evaluating it. Now, I know Florida's got some stuff going on behind the scenes. I know that, you know, a couple players have inked deals here and there. Um, But Dan Mullen was very much in, you know, hey, we got to figure out that, you know, the legality of everything first before we kind of dive in. And uh, to me, that was – you just want to see – it goes back to kind of, I guess recruiting in general under Dan Mullen, I'd like to see them just be more aggressive, you know, really push the envelope um, kind of be at the forefront of those things, you know, be the guy that's saying, Hey, look, uh, you know, we just had a Heisman trophy finalist at QB. Here's what Emory's done in endorsements already. Like, you know what I mean? Um, So I was a little bummed by that. I I thought, you know, as far as name image and likeness goes, I I understand that, you know, the way the law is written in Florida, the Gators have to be careful to make sure they're, you know, not doing anything illegal And there are certainly question marks about whether, you know, the, the 6,000 a year Miami thing is even legal. Um, but I don't know, maybe we can, uh, jump into recruiting a little bit that was just a, a kind of random thought from and me. i do
1: agree with you but at the same time everything i that you said i do agree with i think that that's a chance for them to be more aggressive but i think at the same time just hearing you know having to make sure the legality of things that seems like very much a florida brass type of thing to where yeah, Florida's going to want to play and I, and I don't know that it's necessarily something on dan mullen no, yeah you know, what i like to I, and i think anyone would like to see him be more aggressive with things like that but i think it's something that's above his head
0: Florida has been very, very compliance oriented for a long, long time. And like you said, that, that extends above Dan Mullen. That's very much a a program thing where, you know, they really are going to make sure that the eighties, you know, with Charlie Pell and all that never happen again. So uh, that's, that's a fair point. You know, it's not necessarily all on Dan Mullen. I I would just like to see Florida be a little bit, but I do
1: think you, I do agree with what you said. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So Blake, we had a uh, rankings update for recruiting on swamp on, well, I guess. 24-7 as a whole. Uh, Can you walk us through some of the guys that maybe got bumped, some of the guys that uh, maybe didn't?
1: Yeah, you know, Florida had three commits um, that, that, had all, you know, that had bumps on, on the, on the uh, new top 247. Uh, four-star linebacker Shamar James, who committed to Florida back in June over Alabama. Um, he rose up, I believe it was 30-something spots, up to number 88. So Florida has a top 100 commitment in their class. Um, really athletic linebacker. I've seen the guy play seven on seven and play offense as a wide receiver. And, I mean, the way the guy moves, I think it was a warranted bump for him. Um, Julian Humphreys, I th- think, moved up. 13, 17 spots, something like that. And that's a guy that's coming in with that six uh, six foot one, uh, 190, 185 pound frame, but is also very fast. He's one of the yeah. fastest guys in the state of Texas. Um, just kind of continuing that whole, you know, bringing speed to Florida's class of a lot of those other guys that I've talked about on previous episodes of the podcast that have that kind of speed. So I think he's really interesting. It's a guy that, that teams are still kicking the tires on. I mean, this is a guy that committed to Florida, uh, you know, trying to think when it was. I think it was actually. Um I can pull it up real quick. Um yeah, it was in May, that's what I thought. Back in May, um that was before the dead period opened back up. He took quite a lot of visits, you know, I mean, he took the official visit to of Florida on June 11th, but I mean, this is a guy that visited Alabama. Um, he visited, you know, Georgia, USC, Auburn. I mean, he this kid literally, if you pick a school, he probably was there. He probably visited there. So while he hasn't completely shut things down, um, he has been recruiting guys for Florida. He's really talking up Florida. Um, I'm actually planning to, to catch up with him one day this week, hopefully. Um, he's been busy working out and doing all sorts of other things. Um, but he'll, he'll be back for Friday Night Lights, so I was kind of going to preview that. He's going to be there For a two day visit. But I think the bump that on the uh, 24th new top 247 that a lot of fans are really happy to see was four star quarterback Nick Evers. He went from being an 88, um, three-star type of guy, up to 198 overall in the top 247. He's now a 91, um, which is something that I think was really warranted. I, I remember watching his his film and some of his clips. Um, I, it was either from the Under Armour camp or something, or maybe his um, that, and then he had an Elite 11 regional camp that he was at. And I thought, the, I thought he was a 91 whenever I was watching the film, so that was something that, uh, you know, it was good to see happen, and I know a lot of Florida fans were happy about that.
0: Yeah, no, definitely – uh, I know that the Elite 11, he was he was quite good and, you know, a lot of fans. Really accurate. It.
1: Really and, accurate. And, you
0: know, a guy that could maybe play his way even further up, I think, uh, going forward. You know,
1: last year was his first year starting at Varsity Football, so I definitely agree that that's something that's still on the table for him. Um, I don't have his stats pulled up in front of me, but he was pretty good for being in a first year. Um, now he's continued to grow. I mean, even if you look at just from – you know, when he committed to Florida, I think he's grown about an inch. So he's about six foot three. So um I think he's a guy that can continue to rise. I think it's something that, you know, a big season could bring.
0: I mean, Dan Mullen, you know, quarterbacks kind of knows what he's doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. He knows some things.
0: All right, Blake. Well, thanks for the update. Uh, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the swamp 24 seven podcast. Uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. We're going to be firing up. Uh, we'll, we'll probably have more shows in the near future. I know, 24 uh, seven's got some things in the works for us. Uh, but thanks for tuning in, guys. If you like the video, be sure to hit like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. And if you're listening to it on Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, any of those, be sure to leave us a nice review. We appreciate it, guys. We'll see you next time.